Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Hello, everybody. Sorry for a little bit of a wait, but you know, with technology, there's always a little bit of a lag. Welcome back to the Pew Virtual Chat. Now, I know that over the last week or so, number one here, our schools opened. Um, there were some COVID cases um, acknowledged or actually um, some COVID outbreaks in some of the in schools, but they all seemed pretty well contained. But it was also a reflection back over the six months. And wow, I guess I don't know how much of a celebration uh, the World Health Authority just announced, organization announced on Sunday, we set a new world record for daily COVID-19 cases, and they reported 307,930 cases worldwide. And that brought us to a new total of 28.64 million cases around the world, deaths coming in at 917,417. So I don't know about you, but I don't think the curve is flattening and definitely we're not out of the woods. So today we're kind of looking towards the future. Again, there's still a lot of fear, a lot of discrimination, a lot of racism. So today we're gonna talk about how do we educate or how do we listen to our children and make them anti-racist. So let's find out what we can do, what we will learn today. Let's open the doors to all of our great, lovely ladies again. Hello, hi Marley, hi, hi Robin, hi Susie, it's good to see you. Oh, my son just made some coffee, so the room smells very fragrant right now. <laughs> uh, so we're just waiting, I think. Kirsten was in the chat room too. Hopefully we get to see her too as well. But anyway, so we're gonna get the conversation started. So I have in your chat uh, conversation box, there's a couple of books that have been recommended. Um, there's a great New York Times article there. And oh, great, Jessica can join us. Hi, Jess. And uh, Jessica sent a great link to a video and article um, that I really stress maybe try and grab a chance to watch it, uh, featuring two black students, young students, that spoke so articulately about what they should be learning in school, not only from the students, but also from the teachers. It was a great kind of eye-opener. And you know what? To be quite frank, very much the conversation we have been having here locally about our Indigenous community. And, and you know, and, and really, you know, the young people saying that we really need to have more of our stories in history, you know, even in, in the English language and everything like that. So our conversation today is going to be, how do we talk to our children? And, and you know what, it's not even children, it's adults too as well, I think. Um, but for this one, we're kind of gearing it to the kids um, of all ages. Uh, it's never too late. But, you know, what are the resources there and, and some of the conversations that, uh, that we can have. So, Susie. <laughs> well, your yes. thoughts. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, my thoughts are that obviously a lot of this uh, conversation and learning starts at home right? Our parents are our first teacher, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, when children are younger, especially, you know, let's say from toddlerhood till they enter school, if they go to a, you know, in, go to school in a school system, um, their parents and family are the only really exposure they have to, you know, uh, what that family's opinions are on mm -hmm other people, other religions, other whatever you want to call it, right? And um, I think that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of hope, I think, still, because 
there's a lot of people who are raised in racist households who looked at that and just went, no, that's not what I believe at all, actually. And I need to push back against that and work, you know, the rest of my life to um, not fall into those dangerous patterns that are obviously present in my family. Um, and there's, there's also a spectrum of, um, of these beliefs that people hold, right? So there's everything from colorism to like, racism and colorism can exist in families of color as well right and you know even for example it, and that stems from things like colonialism and all those things i know in the filipino community for example if you're lighter skinned you're seen as more desirable you're seen as prettier and all these things and even as a child that was very bothersome to me um and so you 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 hear these things you see these messages and you think oh, well, I don't like that. That doesn't sound right to me. Or that seems, you know, you might not know the word racist at that young age or whatever, but you're just like, this seems fundamentally wrong to me in some way. And so you question. And I think questioning is obviously the first step. And then giving children resources in schools, in other, you know, community settings, whatever, to find the answers that they're looking for and to promote, you know, things like anti-racist um, uh, reading and, uh, um, I don't want to say schoolwork, but like, you know, things that they can investigate on their own time kind of thing, I think are super important. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's no, there's no four-year-old or seven-year-old who says the N-word because it just came to them. It's because they heard a grown-up say it, okay? A grown-up in their life said it. So we have to be real about where this is coming from. And um, I think children are, are, I don't want to say it's easier, but their hearts are so pure, right? Children are pure and come from a place of love. Whoops. Love. Always. No, Susie, don't freeze us. In a society that is present and, you know, Put out it can be am i sorry yeah <laughs> um but obviously resources that should be available in schools and community settings are all life about what help they might need right uh well we're gonna get back to you so you can finish off that thought but i want to go now to um marley and uh marley you know you've got two young kids and I know, and you're, you are so in the know of everything, but in your own words and, and in light of everything that's happening today, and how are you thinking differently with Coco and Kish? Um, I guess that because I am biracial, um, I've always sort of had conversations of everyone is different, everyone is beautiful because of their differences. So. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm just carrying on as I typically do with, as Susie was talking about, like a four and a seven-year-old, don't just come um, with these words, you know, the N-word. They just don't know these words. My children are four and seven. They do not know that word. Um, and so we've always taught that to the kids, and we've always been open about that with the kids and um, open at, to look at everyone else's differences. So... For us, it's just how our house is. So there's no real difference. Although um, the one thing I was wanting to do is is commit to buying these books and having them in the house, um, like the candy um, uh, books. So that's something that I want to work on, that I want to build our library at home, mm -hmm. uh, be more inclusive. Yeah. No, these books are, are, are amazing, and the anti-racist baby is actually geared to kids, so it's kind of like a parenting tool. And it's interesting, you know, you buy, parents buy books for their little ones to teach them about love, family, kindness, that's yes. potty training. So why not have a book about being an anti-racist and what that means? So who knows, like, you know, this might be growing a new generation of people, which is what we want. And to Susie, yes, it's so much, um, it, when you read that New York Times article right at the top, your children are so influenced by you, what you say, the books you read, the movies you watch, um, the TV programs you watch, you know, everything that you do, your children are absorbing. So we are, in fact, I guess, 
the biggest learning tool in all of this, and we don't even yeah. know that. Yeah. Well, and I think I think part of it too is that you know um, sometimes it's not just what you say, but it's what you don't say. Right. So uh, a lot of the times, I mean, if you think back to, we can even just use um, like elections or um, anything where women can be in positions of power or authority. Well, when you hear the people in your life, adults talk about, oh, well, she shouldn't have that job or she's, you know, that's far too advanced for her, whatever it might be, right? The same thing applies um, when it comes to issues of race. And, you know, when you have, so for example, you know, last week we had an NFL game where some of the players kneeled on the field and the crowd in the stands was booing. Well, if you're sitting there and you're watching that football game with your son or your daughter who loves football, and what didn't you say in that conversation that wasn't happening in your house, you said a lot. Right? As right. opposed to asking your child, what do you think about that? You don't even have to say what you think. Let them tell you what they think because they are living this every day in their school life and in their community. And maybe they can teach you something if you are feeling, you know, maybe what I have to say isn't, um, you know, uh, in, in, uh, in line with the times that I'm living in. Maybe I'm stuck in an older, uh, outdated way of thinking and your kids, are smart. Your kids know what's happening out there, what they're experiencing with their friends. And when you ask them that kind of question and just kind of shut up and listen, they'll give you a lot of information. Even if it's just in a few short sentences, they're giving you a lot of information about what their current experience is. Yeah. I just want yes. to put one thing on, on what Susie said in terms of not saying something. So when I have seen, um, or if my kids have heard something that I don't want them to know or hear, you know, I, I have been speaking up right away and saying, uh-uh, that doesn't happen in our household. That is not language we use. That is not how we treat people. So I've taken the approach of making sure that I am not staying silent. It is okay, kids, cover your ears and keep going. You know, I've taken the opposite approach of making sure that they know whatever they heard or saw was not okay. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, uh, we were driving to school just this last week and my daughter who's 10 years old asked me on the way to school, you know, and it's like, it's like eight o'clock in the morning and I'm not ready for these kinds of conversations. I haven't even had my coffee yet. And she says to me, she says, mama, she says, what does the N word mean? And it's just like, oh my gosh, like I'm trying to drive off the road, right? And it's just like, oh gosh. So I said, well, baby, I said, where did you hear this word? And she says, well, I just hear it around. And I said, okay. And I'm trying not to cry as I'm driving. You know, my son is sitting beside me and he's, he's waiting for me to say something, even though I know he wants to say something to her. And I said, um, I said, Steffi, I said, it's a really terrible word. And I said, it is not the way that we would ever, ever use that word in our house or in our family. And I said, if you know somebody who's using that word, I said, that tells you a lot about what kind of person they are. I said, and I think you need to be really careful about that. I said, so please don't ever think that it's okay to say that word. And if you hear that word, you should tell that person that is not an appropriate word. Even at 10, you can say that, you know? And she, she was just like, she was quiet. And she said, okay. She, and I said, have you heard it at school? And she said, no. I said, okay. I said, then I said, you know, if you hear it at school, I said, and you have more questions, I said, you can ask me. But I said, for right now, I said, you need to understand it's a terrible word. It's a hurtful word, very hurtful word. And I said, it's not something that we ever, ever use in our family. So for her at 10 years old, that was enough to, you know, give her information to, to navigate whatever she might be, uh, you know, learning out there without me. Um, but it was, it was a, it was a shock for, you know, I'm Wednesday morning drive to school. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, Jessica, thanks for, so much. And is Hani here too? Um, I, he said that he is coming. He's just uh, running late. He's not here at the moment, but okay. um, he yeah. should be joining if he has. Yeah. He can I'm pop sorry. in. Yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah. So I like I both of what Susie and Marley were saying, I uh, couldn't agree more with. I, I should state that like I don't have kids. So while I um, can talk about kind of like the research that I've done and kind of the information I've gathered, like I don't have firsthand experience with my own kids. Like I have a niece where we've had some of these conversations, um, but, but really uh, I commend you both because I think that how you've handled these situations is 
the best way to move forward with your kids to be anti-racist, right? Um, I think a big thing that, um, as a, hopefully a future parent, is, is to understand that like kids aren't colorblind. Um, children can actually take note of racial difference as early as six months. So as, as caregivers, as kids, adults, as uh, parents, educators, we, we can't be silent about race. And, and um, we can't, like you said, we can't shy away from these conversations and we can't shush children if they uh, talk about race. So if they notice that there is a black kid at the playground and they say like that kid is black, but if you shush them that and like don't have a conversation about them, they, they get to be uncomfortable with talking about it, which then can, in that silence, it can reinforce and fester stereotypes because they're not asking questions about it, right? So if you can create, like, if your kids are starting to talk about it, like Susie was doing and Marley does, um, they can start coming to you as their person to have those safe conversations um, and, and just making sure that they uh, are comfortable to talk about it. And it, so, yeah, basically those stereotypes reinforce themselves. Um, yeah, and I think too, like you said, Jessica, you know, even at young ages, again, children uh, might not have the language to convey what it is that they're feeling or thinking, but they can pick up on your emotions, right? And even just your state of being as you're, you know, shushing them or opening it up for more conversation, that's what they pick up on is the emotion of the moment, right? So when it comes to those conversations and they say, you know, oh, that little girl, she's black over there. And you say, yeah, she is. And uh, would you like to play with her? And to the kid, that's probably all they wanted to say was that they noticed that she was different and they would still like to play with her and that's it. And a lot of the time when my kids, you know, when they were little and they'd point out little differences or they'd ask questions, I would say, okay, but does it matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's the question that I would always ask them. Like my, my daughter, when she was four or five, she went through this stage where she would ask people, are you a girl or a boy? And they're yeah. just trying to classify things, right? Because <laughs> sometimes, you know, people don't always dress, you know, they dress as they want to feel, right? And I would try to, you know, like I would, as the adult, I would say like, oh, I don't ask that, you know, whatever. And then, you know, it got to the point where she asked it and this lady said, no, I'm a woman. And I said to Steffi, I said, you know, Steffi, I said, does it matter? And she kind of looked at me and she goes, no. And I said, it's a person. I said, they're a person, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, and we treat everybody with respect and with dignity, right? I said, we treat everybody like they're, you know, we're, we're going to be friends. And she said, yeah. And I said, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the package looks like. It's what, how we treat that person, right? Okay. And that was it, you know, kind of thing. But it's about, again, your tension in that moment as the adult trying to diffuse any kind of potential cringe moment or shame or whatever it might be. And all they need to do is they're just trying to understand the world around them, right? So our shame and our inability to articulate what we might be going through, even if it is our own misunderstanding or our own misgivings or shortcomings, we need to get past that so that we can educate these kids and make them feel better about everything. And that would go so much further than making our world a better place, I think. Well, with the, yeah. whole, with the whole Black Lives Matter scenario, I haven't really gone into that with the kids because they're little. But, but Coco did do this the other day at the playground. Oh, that little girl, she's got dark skin. And I said, isn't she gorgeous, Coco? She said, yes, she's beautiful. She just wanted to point out the fact that this little girl was was beautiful. And, and she goes to me, mommy, you have golden-y skin. You know, <laughs> it's the same thing. She's trying to classify, like, colors or genders. It's, it's not that they're trying to say that they're bad, but because of the Black Lives Matter, it's in your head that you don't want other people to think, Oh, you're racist. You're racist. But if you make it as she's gorgeous, isn't she? Yes, she is, Mama. It's it's not like a shh. Don't say the black word. Well, and let's be real too. Like if you if you have a child, you have a crayon box. You have yeah. pencil crayons in your house. Your child has gone into that box to find the color that matches their skin. And I can tell you. There is 40 years ago, when I was going into that box, there was no color that matched my skin. And I noticed yeah. at that age. I didn't know how to articulate what that meant or what that felt like, but it's just like, huh, 
there's peach and there's dark brown. There's nothing in between. Right? There's no tan. That's cool. right. So all they're trying to do is learn nuance and yeah. we can help them with that nuance. Yeah. That's, that's totally right. Yeah. So Robin, you've just been laughing and nodding. I mean, this also does have a very uh, important, I guess, weigh in for mental health and wellness too as well, right? I mean, we've all, they've been talking about it, suppressing, shushing, ignoring, being silent. It'll all fester. And case in point, you have young kids coming to you with mental health issues. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I really resonated with what Susie said at the start, right? I swear I was born into the wrong family. You know, I remember being a kid and we were driving through the middle of Australia. My parents were dealt with those horrible Aboriginal people that don't appreciate those houses we put them in. And I remember I was like four and I went, but what if they don't want to live in those houses? And my parents were like, what do you mean? Of course they'd want to live here. And it was still uh, in Australia when I was little, but it was still the stolen generation. Like they were still taking kids out. And my parents were like, oh, they're getting a better life. And I'm like, well, would you like someone to take me? And they were like, no. And I, it, it's this thing that sometimes we just feel like we're completely born in the wrong Family, I've got out of a car with my brother before. I've said, stop the car, let me out. Um, and, and so, like, the thing for me, you know, I don't have kids either, right? I've got zillions of nephews and nieces and great nephews and nieces. And the conversations, I'm like, uh, like, who is, who's the person? Forget anything else, but who is that person and where do they come from and what makes them happy and what makes them sad, not what does the rest of it look like? And I, I think I always talk about it when I talk about peer support, right? If we can be passionately curious about that person, regardless, right, we have a shot at this. And I think, you know, when I'm talking to kids, I'm saying, like, ask the questions that you want to ask and let's have a conversation and if you ask a question that maybe seems un-PC, just have a conversation. And then kids are like, oh, okay. I'm like, um, <clears throat> but while we don't have those conversations, we do create that backlog for people about, well, what, what's wrong with that or why is that? And then we do end up like with kids with addiction and mental health issues because they can't just have a conversation. So mm -hmm. I loved what you were all saying about just, just be in that conversation because lots of times kids just want to ask. They don't actually care. Yeah. They just want to ask, oh, I noticed that. What's that? Or, you know, and I, I like <clears throat> it's the same for me in terms of, you know, whether it's gender stuff or, or whether it's colour or whether it's whatever, whether it's disability, whatever, let's just be real and have a conversation and chat and, and let kids explore it in a safe way so they don't end up exploring it in a really non-safe way. Does that make sense? Makes absolute sense. And I, I, to add to sort of what you're saying there, Robin, too, it's almost, um, I was thinking about uh, pride this past week. So there was, a, there was a contest on CBC, not a contest, but a program on CBC right now where you can nominate somebody um, who's been doing some really great work in the uh, LGBTQ community for a Pride uh, Recognition Award. And I thought to myself, you know what? That is a bit of a privilege to be nominated for that award. Let's, let me finish here. Because it means that you're out, okay? And there are a lot of people, regardless of age, regardless of status, who are still not comfortable being out. And I was submitting a nomination actually, and I thought about that and I thought, you know what, like that's another example. You know, right now you're hearing, you know, on whether it's TV, radio, whatever, all these businesses and all these celebrations of pride. 
and there are kids that are sitting in cars or at their dinner table with parents or wherever it might be and listening to how their parents are taking in that information. Now, are they saying like, this is great. We should go to the pride run. We should do this. Or are they saying like, why the hell do they need that? And all that stuff, right? You are sending that message back to your child who may not even know what their feelings are on their sexuality yet, but you're sending that message. And there's such damage that we can do when we put our, again, our shortcomings or our uh, inability to grow in grace, when we put that on our children, instead of letting them talk sometimes, you know, and letting, and, and us just being there to listen and offer some guidance. And I think to myself, like you talk about mental health and anxiety, Robin, like I, I was in tears when I thought about there are kids that are at home right now crying or in crisis because their parents think that if they come out, they will be shunned. They will be cut off. They will have no place to go. And that is, that's just not right. You know, I, I, when, and I was thinking about it in the context of race too, because we can't hide our skin color. We can't hide that. But to come out and to live your life openly and honestly is not, is not afforded to everybody at this time. Um, I, I just want to say that really um, that hits home, that whole discussion. Because um, uh, even now, like I think about now, so, you know, over the last couple of years I've modified my haircut a little, I've modified my clothing, and my mother only said to me a week ago, um, you just keep that weird stuff in Canada and when you come home, I need you to have a different haircut. And I'm like, can't you just love me for who I am? Like, I'm your kid. She goes, yes, but you were meant to be my daughter. And it's like, so I think if that still has an impact on me at 55, and most of the time I can go, yeah, laugh it off because I'm so used to it. But I'm like... I just remember what it was like as a kid and the damage that can be done. So if there are, you know, part of what helped was, was having friends who didn't care, just mm -hmm. loved me for me yeah. um, and just were like, huh, whatever. And so if we can create little people that, are just so accepting of whoever you are and wanting to know you and what's inside, not what it looks like, um, then we have, like, a shot at this. But mm. unless we keep having those conversations and opening them up and even, even the question about, like, I've seen kids say hurtful stuff and I'll say, hey, like, you know, can I ask you a question? Like, where did that come from? Why do you... Think that, and then you then you're able to get into a different conversation too. If if you're not losing your I'm a star, yeah. losing your ship, yes, um, and exactly. going, oh my god, I can't believe you said that. But yeah. hey, can I ask you, like, where's that come from? Why do you think that? And then you have a different way of exploring it too. Well, I want to actually, and I'm going on this, and and thank you so much, Robin and and Susie. Um, <laughs> I didn't know where this was going, but I, 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 I sense now that there definitely needs to be more conversation and, you know, that's why I wanted to bring in Marley too. And I mean, with her little kids growing up in this, but just now I'm going to, you know, let's talk to you now about the immigrants coming. And I know the numbers have obviously declined, but I mean, all of this now is so much more escalated in our immigrant communities. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really happy, Susie, that you brought that up, that CBC nomination, because when I saw it, I had the exact same, like, uncomfortable feeling with it, because I have many um, newcomer friends who are in the LGBTQ community, who are amazing and deserve to be nominated, but I cannot nominate them because they're not out to their family com and community. Um, so particularly this topic is one of those, like, I just, that didn't sit right with me because there's a huge segment of the population that you can't celebrate their big successes. And if there's people that end up doing it and outing them, like 
especially with depending on like we have a lot of refugee claimants coming to Canada and making claims for asylum based on prejudice because they're part of the LGBTQ community. Um, so, and even though that they've made their claim here, they're still not out publicly because uh, their, their friends and family, whether they're here or back home, would disown them. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very, um, the newcomer community, particularly the LGBTQ community, is there's, it's a, it is a big community, but it's not. But it's a challenge. Yes. Yeah, it's not. And you you look at, even if you look at the roster of nominations, right? And of course, my my first question whenever I see lists or things, I was like, where's the diversity? I'm always looking for the diversity, right? And I look at that, and that's kind of how I got to thinking about this. It's just like, oh, no, no, wait a second. Because not everybody can be out and proud and loud about this right now. And that that really upset me. And that really broke my heart in in a way because, uh, you know, going back to what you were saying, Robin, I... I am of the belief that you should never have children unless you're prepared to love them for exactly who they are. You don't make your children. I know that you might think you do, but you actually don't. <laughs> your children are gifts from the universe and they have their own things to bring into the world and it's your job to help them bring them out with all the goodness and love that you give them. It's not your job to change them or to make them or to mold them into what you want them to be. And that's the same, like, I mean, imagine going into a romantic relationship and trying to change everything about that person. No, with love comes acceptance and comes grace, right? So that's kind of why it made me think about that program. And I mean, it's a great program. I love to see the nominations, but we have to recognize that that's like an iceberg and that's 10% of the people that can actually put their faces out there and there's 90% who can't. And the, we, the, we need to work to, to get those 90% comfortable to, or society comfortable enough for that to happen. The, the, and the way that, that I'm sort of seeing it too, the issues that I'm sort of seeing too are, it, it becomes racialized. It yes. almost does become racialized in our converse, you know, given our theme of the day, this issue has become actually racialized. And I have, um, I, I have a, a dance student, a former dance student, who um, is not able to be who they want to be because of their family, who um, they immigrated uh, longer ago, about probably about 10 or 15 years ago, but because of their um, nationality, their ethnic background, and probably their uh, religious beliefs, that person is not allowed to be who they want to be. And that person is very young. Um, you know, I'm teaching younger people. So um, that's, that's awful. I mean, it's awful for that person who is doing uh, probably a lot of great work with their friend group and with the people, everyone that they touched and not able to come out. So then it becomes also racialized. So then we're dealing with layers of lay and layers of oppression and segregation and discrimination and it just it makes me awfully sad and it makes me it I can't think of it because that's the day that those are my nightmares at night you know and it's great that this program is out there but who is it great for I don't know if I necessarily agree with that sort of program or or contest if you will because then it's just oppressing other people or not allowing other people to be a part of it well then it just increases the mental health issues like absolutely you know it was only a couple of years ago I went oh this is part of the reason I've had so many mental health things because I haven't been able to be me and when I went oh I'm in the wrong body what um and Like that changed some things for me in terms of just being comfortable in my own skin. So when we add that, oh, like for me, I do okay because I look like, you know, I have the right colour skin to look okay. Um, So we layer that privilege stuff on and no wonder we have so many mental health issues and, yeah. And we... in the younger in the younger folks too you know it's not that their lives not all of their lives are exponentially better than the 
you know, the older generations, because of pride or because of these contests, yep. it's still younger, new Canadians, immigrants, refugees, um, that are facing the oppression still. And they're in their early teens or twenties, you know, it's awful. So how do, where does, where does a conversation start? I mean, unfortunately, probably a huge percentage never truly are going to live the life that they want to, but looking at this now, like Jessica, you know, these, we have immigrants now that aren't living in their countries of oppression. They're here where we are supposed to embrace everybody. Um, does it start with a safe conversation of the next steps? Or is it just a continuation of sticking our heads in the sand and hopefully everything will rectify itself? I don't know. Um, I think that um, creating safe uh, private spaces for those individuals to be themselves um, and like uh, not forcing them to come out if they're not ready or they're not wanting to like, uh, and this is a big um, barrier or challenge within the settlement sector. So the, the organizations that support newcomers is being able to provide services, uh, particularly for the queer newcomer community um, that are available and accessible, but don't out them. So like, uh, this is my naive brain. Uh, I was working at a settlement agency and I'm like, let's start an LGBTQ like group that meets every Thursday at our center, etc. cetera. Uh, we'll bring in like everybody will come, we'll be a big announcement about it. And then like my critical thinking mind was like, that is not gonna work. We're very, we could actually endanger this, these community members. Um, so I think it really does start at um, first in ensuring there are those safe and private settings that those community members can go to. Um, I know that Rainbow Resource Center actually has um, like a, uh, a group that meets. Um, and so ensuring that, uh, so having those spaces, but also ensuring that the community that is supporting them uh, are educated and know how to create safe spaces when they're providing services. And uh, I think that our sector is slowly moving towards that. It hasn't got there yet. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really, and, and I really can't repeat this enough, not forcing people to come out if they're not ready, um, just but being a support in, in the background um, for when they need to talk to somebody. Um, yeah. I, it's a really tough situation because my like Western brain is like, come out, be proud, but that's not gonna be safe for them. And, and maybe in time, they'll find community members and um, both within the newcomer community and the queer community that they can be themselves with. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a good start. And, and maybe over time, if they feel that they've built up enough of a, a community, that if they come out, they can be in a safe space, then maybe that'll happen. But um, yeah, kind of meeting where people where they're at. But I, I do think it's um, like both when we're talking about racism and homophobia as, as talking to kids when they're young, I, I really do think it's important to um, don't wait for the kids to bring it up. Have these conversations um, about uh, like race or homosexuality, um, in, a, in a positive and affirming way um, and help them build like a positive awareness of diversity and uh, understanding of sexual orientation and, and really celebrate um, your, their own family's identity or multiple identities um, and emphasize the importance of difference, differences and similarities. Um, so both like highlighting that it's, it's good to be different um, but also you have lots of similarities and, and make that more of a, a positive and affirming message. And so like for racism when they, and that's both as like 
of course, we, I don't have kids, uh, I'm white, <laughs> but I think that's both for um, parents of white children and parents of BIPOC children to have those, like bring up those conversations, um, even if their kids aren't asking about it. Wow. So to add to that, Jessica, I would say that, um, uh, you know, if you are a parent of color and you are raising your children in a safe, inclusive environment, I feel like it's duty is not the right word, but I feel like it's important and incumbent upon me to stress to maybe other children that I might come in contact with that there are safe places that exist for you. And it doesn't have to be like that all the time. And not everybody, the community is not a monolith and not everybody feels this way. And it does get better, you know, it does get better. And that's, challenging in a way but at the same time I think that when you when you live by example and you and you exemplify those values that you live it becomes easier for people to say gravitate towards you as a safer space and to express those fears and doubts that they may have I think that's I think that's perfect Susie I think that's I mean that is exactly that as um, parents we we're in, we're, you know, um, in, in front of all sorts of different kids. And so what you just, you hit the nail on the head. It's not like it's our responsibility because we are people of color, but it almost is. It's almost like, you know what? Um, even if it's just demonstrating pride for my, um, Asian heritage in front of other children and making them aware that yes, like Marley is, is Japanese and here's um, a kimono and this is what it looks like. I've done this with the kids, you know, with other kids and, and, and um, I've had one of the, one of uh, my son's little friends want to do a project on me <laughs> and the kimono and in a, a kimono. So, you know, talking about differences and different ethnicities and then, but then we have Ukrainian sausage and pierogies and halapchi and pedishke and we're like, this is awesome. You know, this is, and they, the same kids come to our house and then we're serving Ukrainian food. We're not Ukrainian, but then we're talking about Ukrainian uh, food. And then I'm singing a Ukrainian song. Like, I mean, it's just all about how we are in front of other people. Exactly. And I think about, you know, like this, the student that you mentioned in your class who's taking dance with you, that student in your class who's not able to be themselves anywhere else your dance class might be the one hour or two hours a week that yep. they feel fully alive, right? Absolutely. And that to me, not only that to me is a gift, you know, a gift that I can give from the universe to this person to say, yes, this is the place where you get to be you 100% unapologetically. And I love having you here and we can celebrate you here. You know, yep. those kind of things. That's what I mean, you know, to Absolutely. be that acceptance and to be that, uh, that safe I guess. Yeah. And yeah. the cheerleader of other people. Yes. Of other yes. Absolutely. I love that. That's exactly yeah. who I am in my heart. And that's exactly yes. how I live my life. Yes. So, so I, I can feel everything, but my question is, so why are so many other people judgmental? Judgmental right away on first impressions on the color of my skin, my name, um, I who think, I am. You know, we were at the playground once and um, this was before COVID. This was last summer. FYI, just so everyone knows, we were at the playground, and um, my 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 children have Japanese names, as some of you may know. Um, so my little my son was being made fun of by these other two, other two kids because of his name. They were going, ah, ha, 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 it's so funny, it's so funny. Kishio, Kishi, oh, so funny. Sounds like Kissy or some whatever they were saying. I was, I was livid. I called. I was actually with uh, our community center. It was a soccer. I called the soccer association. I and um, our uh, the community center and said, "This is what happened at soccer. There were no parents supervising these children. Blah 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 blah." Fast forward you're never going to believe this. My son is now friends with this little boy. And the next time I met him, he said nothing about his name. And I was like, I was like, okay. I said to my husband, this is, 
I don't know if I agree with this. And, and he just said, Kirk said, like, just watch, just see how it plays out. But this particular boy that my son um, became friends with at hockey, my son had forgotten his face, had forgotten it ever happened, forgotten it was the boy, and became friends with him. So this little boy said nothing the next time. So I, I have no idea. But I, you know, what I'm thinking is that when there is differences, kids or adults, folks, everyone are either scared or they like little kids, they think everything's funny. So I don't think that it was obviously a, a racial thing because now that they're buddies, you know, so I don't know. I, I feel like little kids think that differences are funny and adults are scared. And, and is that judge, and is that come across as judgment? I think that's totally right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think too, like, like, so even if you take, you know, the kids as an example, kids deflect to humor and questions all the time. Yeah. Like you tilt their heads and they're just kind of like, what? Like they're confused and they just, they're trying to understand, right? In their own little ways, without all the language that we have, without all the emotion control that we have, right? Yeah. And adults are not much better at hiding their surprise or their shock or whatever it might be. And so we, we, we could probably take a lesson from them in a way and just kind of, you know, like, I think I, I, already, uh, I must be a kid because I tilt my head, ask questions and laugh. But it works. It's a very disarming approach, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm hearing um, like full on racism and the kid is four. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think like, that's, that's the thing that I love about kids, right? Is that they're so, they're so open and they are so, uh, what's the word? They're just carefree and they're not, afraid, they're not afraid to make mistakes. They're not doing it to hurt somebody's feelings per se right off the hop, but they're trying to understand their world. Yeah. And if your son can forget about it and be buddies, isn't that what we all want? Like for everybody to kind of. So I just want to know, Marley, what does that little boy call Kish? Kishio, Kish. <laughs> She's never, I've never heard it. I've never actually heard what he calls him. <laughs> they're all like, dude. Now you know. Now they're older, so they're like, dude, buddy, what's up? Like they're trying to be big kids, right? I, I, I need to pay attention, but I have no idea. Yeah. Funny, okay. and I don't think so this boy remembers. Yeah. Like I honestly oh, think. Yeah, exactly. And Marley, I can tell you, I was reading an article in the last couple of weeks for sure that talked about how there's a lot of immigrant parents who are coming here and not giving their kids ethnic names from their cultures and from their, because they don't want their kids to face ridicule or to be, you know, discriminated against on the basis of their name. And that was so sad to me. Yeah. You know, there's also the option too, where they where the child has an ethnic name, but then they're known as like Ken or something outside the house, right? Like those kind of things. It's just like, oh, you know, like can we? And just I've even seen out? I've even seen like young adults come and let's say like in their their teens or twenties, and then they legally change their name when they get here after they get here. Do you ever, Jessica? Here's a question: Do you ever ask what I started doing as of late? to little kids and, and, and parents, because that's all I'm talking to these days. Um, I have asked what their cultural names are and if they have a cultural name. And, yeah. and have you ever done something like this? Like, you know, they've changed their name. You see, you know, they've obviously changed their name mm -hmm. legally, but then have you asked, oh, do you have a cultural name or what does the cultural name mean or? Yeah, I think it like I I've done that. Um, I normally would wait until I have a really good relationship with the person because if you end up doing it like on the first meet, you can like reinforce like the othering of the them, other just other like other oh, thing. where are you from? Um, but oh, I definitely, yeah, yeah I, I have like I have uh, I definitely have friends where I've asked that once I've gone to know them and and. Yes figured that they it, they probably have changed their name. Uh, I think that that's, that shows your interest and um, and kind of um, if done in a really positive way, like sh showing that you're you understand that they there's more to them than just this name. Like they have come with yeah. a different name, right? Yeah. Uh, so I definitely think it's a it's a cool way of showing your interest in them mm -hmm. and understanding that there are cultural differences where they uh there are those and also that there's probably like if you're if you do in a way that you acknowledge that 
there's these barriers to just having like just being themselves like yeah, being like, it's just such a yeah like just being, yeah. Just yeah. you know just mm-hmm. you it's like oh, just, well, this is a part of you yeah robin i just wanted to get back to you was there something that you wanted to make a comment about families and origin of families does that, I don't know, I just... I, I, I was saying one of the things we've talked about, like in terms of people with mental health who have struggled with family stuff, um, is we often talk about family of origin and family of choice. Um, and we, we have conversations with people about, like, how long do you keep trying with your family of origin? to be accepted. Um, and we've had these across the gamut from people all, all over who are very strongly connected to their family and still shunned at the same time. And we, and we have these discussions about, like you can take a look about how much you connect with your family of origin versus creating a family of choice. And there may be, like people from your family of origin that like support you and and then you get to work out how much of my time do I spend with those because that can make a big difference to people's mental health if they realize um and I'm not saying run out there and like go I'm never talking to my family again but like sometimes for some people like walking away from their family of origin can be a safer thing for them. And I think it's about being able to be in that exploration with people for them to work it out what it is for themselves. Like, you know, some people have said to me, why do you still talk to your mum when she says that to you? And I'm like, because I'm still super connected to her and I just love her. And I get that she has her way and I go, what's come through in her life that has her express it like that. So I'm still in an inquiry place. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been times I've gone, I can't talk to you for a while, right? It's too much. And so that's why I was saying about the family of origin, family of choice piece, it can make a real difference to people's mental health. Oh, well, that, that, is, that is so important. Really good piece of information. Well, and I think Robin too, like to, um, to give people sort of some perspective too, is that people who are not open to accepting people as they are, that says so much more about them than it does about the person seeking the acceptance, right? And that's what, that sort of, as I enter these later years of my life, what I've come to understand is that I can't change how other people think or their hangups or anything like that. But what I can do is still live my life and still live my values, but not succumb to their fear and their lack of awareness. So, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people with their parents and siblings are are experiencing a similar thing, but moving forward and being unapologetically you is the greatest gift you can give yourself regardless of who accepts, right? Yeah, because some people will never accept. Yeah, and there is a piece for me about, I have been in conversation with people about where, where does that come from? Like, what is that that has you feel like that? And there's the other piece, and I guess I'm maybe putting the cat among the pigeons a little, but if I'm judging someone else on their views, am I doing any different than what they're doing to me? Mm-hmm. So I... Like, I'm always cautious of that too. Like, if I'm going, I don't like that person because they said this, right? Without getting to know them, am I actually any different? But that's that's me and it's always a question in my head to consider. I want to try and understand why someone comes from that point of view before I'm like, oh, hang on, because... I want people to get to know me before they judge me on what I look like. Mm-hmm. No. So very, very interesting. And I, 
I was just kind of wondering too, and maybe it's directed to all of you in this conversation and, and Jess and what, in the line of work you do, I mean, is there kind of, we talked about having a safe place, you know, for people to have those conversations in line with what Robin had said about family of choice and family of origin. Would there ever be, you know, a chance for a family, say here, say Marley's family, um, you know, open, have the conversation with another family from another country that have come here, maybe sometimes with the same kids, the same age, but it's, it's kind of like that conversation of here's where, here's our household, here's what we talk about, here's what we do, what do you do, or, you know, and, and stuff like that. So there is kind of a, a conversation of different values, different ideals, um, you know, the whole, again, with Robin, what she's saying, I mean, getting to know a family before saying, no, that's not right. No, you shouldn't say this. Your kids need to do this. Your kids need to do that. It might be some kind of a neat kind of community outreach in the bubble that we live in. Um, I was thinking too, this allows these people to make their choice that maybe taking that separation from their family of origin and becoming the person that they truly want to be, you know, maybe this is the time too. So I know when I, I, know when I was working at United Way, um, there are inner city schools that have large populations of indigenous children, uh, students and uh, newcomer students. And so when I was doing one of the programs I was working on, um, and I visited some schools, they, their schools were doing this as an after school program. It was mm -hmm. set up by the parents, but it was to show um, the similarities of the two cultures right. and bring them together and learn about the differences. So it was really cool. Um, and, and the kids and parents came and they did a potluck. Of course, this was pre-COVID, this is years ago. Um, and apparently it went fabulously. You know, um, I held a, a round, I had, I held a, um, like a sharing circle at the Japanese cultural center with, um, with Japanese folks from our community and indigenous folks from various indigenous communities. And what we did, we held us, um, sharing two sharing circles, actually pre COVID again. Um, and, and we shared about our violations, um, our human rights violations. Then we looked and we kind of talked about how similar the, the two communities, uh, you know, how they both faced similar human rights violations. And then we talked about the differences. And that was super powerful. That was with some elders from the Japanese community and elders also from the indigenous communities. Um, those types of things, Tracy, every time I hear about a program like that, it works. Yeah. It, it's perfect, you know. Well Maybe we can start that here. Yeah, we should. A better, safer environment than what we're doing right now, this platform. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we can take every one of these topics that we've talked on, racism, uh, pride, uh, homophobia, um, family relations. Other let's, let's, you know, let's try and do this. And, and we can be all here to, to question or to offer support, but you start the conversation. And I think that's maybe one way, possibly, of bringing community back in this uh, day and age, because we're definitely not out of the woods. Um, I just said at the beginning, top of our show, you didn't hear, but uh, we set a world record for new cases of COVID-19 on Sunday at 307,930 cases. So we have a new total, and this is as of Sunday, so it's probably grown. So we have a new total of 28.64 million cases around the world. And we have 917,417 deaths, so almost a million deaths. So on that note, <laughs> no, and I mean, so that's why it's so important, I think, right now to really engage the young people and the children in these conversations that we just had as adults. And I know that, you know, each and every one of you are do the same in your, in your own household, but it's like, how do we snowball that? How do we get that to the next family, to the next family? Because there's so many issues out there, whether it's mental health and ill, you know, wellness, 
living your life like how you should live your life. Um, there's just so many things. So just maybe uh, you and Hani and I can have that conversation and, you know, and maybe just like introducing us to a family. Yeah, that would that sounds fantastic. We at IPW have organized a lot of bridge building events with newcomer and indigenous populations. Um, so we're very happy to do any type of bridge building support. Um, and just as a like plug for our next activities yes. from our campaign yes. is that we're actually working on compiling a list of resources for parents to talk with their children about racism and how to be like anti-active racist parents. Um, so as soon as we have the resource put together, there's lots of good information out there. Um, so I think it might be, it's an overwhelming process. <laughs> so hopefully this will be a, a helpful uh, resource. And we're also working on an anti-racism in sports campaign where um, if we get the funding that we've applied for, we're actually gonna, I don't know about COVID now, but we've, we're, uh, we have Valor FC and the Blue Bombers have agreed to partner with us. And we're going to go into um, middle school and teach about how to identify racism and what to do if you witness it or experience it. Mm -hmm. um, so we have some actions in kind of this, uh, this realm of work. But thank you, as always, for having uh, me on. And sorry about Hanny, he couldn't end up making it his meeting when he's texting me saying his meeting went long. But I uh, always appreciate being on and be able to talk. Hey Jessica, can I just ask you a question? In that new program, what's the piece for the parent? Because one of the things we've seen when people brought all their stuff in about let's talk about mental health to kids, they mm -hmm. didn't prepare the parents for when mm -hmm. the kids came home and went, I've been suicidal. And the parents mm -hmm. were like, Ooh. And so one of the things I know Charlotte and Kirsten will slap me about the head if I don't say this, mm -hmm. like when we put things in schools, we need, like, what is it that you're going to put in place for parents to be ready for the conversations that come home? Yeah. Uh, I, yes, <laughs> 100%. We, we haven't uh, started developing of any of the materials, but the, and this is not going to solve the issue of racist parents, but um, we'll be sending home with the kids who get the presentation, um, like a bookmark or like a pamphlet to share with their parents. They'll provide a bit of background information and a link to our website that will have more supports for them. But as you're talking about this, I'm realizing that's going to have to be a much bigger piece than uh, a couple, uh, you know, quick phrases on a, a brochure. So making sure that we have really good adequate information on our website and, and making sure that the parents know that there are there is additional support for them to kind of guide these conversations so i'm sure Charlotte and Kirsten would love to chat with you yeah. i'm just okay. wondering i'm just wondering quick quick thought um mm -hmm. this is how my brain goes i'm wondering if we can bring robin and and the folks that she's working with mm -hmm. and jessica together to, to um, like maybe on you, to put together a little piece for parents, like a little, yeah, like a little, woo, a video or mm. something that, that is virtual that can be filmed, like, mm. you know, um, and then sent to the parents. Because yeah. to be honest, as a parent, and now with all the COVID stuff and activities, I'm not necessarily going to go onto a website. But if they're like, here's a, here's a little four minute video that we made with Robin Priest and it tell and, and say like, it's very short. It's like three and a half minutes or whatever. And Robin and Jessica are chatting about how this conversation needs to percolate for the parents, like, to the parents at home. I think that's an excellent idea. There's also a really cool um, anti-racism parent group that works out of DSFM that, yeah, yeah, so and they're excellent. So I think that that would also it'd be really great to bring them into this. And well, um, them is its own school division, though, right? So the Winnipeg school divisions are totally separate than DSFM is pri is almost private. Yeah, and and uh, I just mean as um, a parent group already doing anti-racism work, um, and and our conversations with them have been um, like 
for us partnering with them, it would be for all of Winnipeg. Um, so I think if them giving a bit of an eye on um, doing this work already, like even if they're like, you know, uh, review it and give us advice or maybe one of them as a, a parent who has children in school comes in with us and has a conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Susie, is there anything you want to add? You're good, Susie? No, I'm oh. good. <laughs> I co-sign all of those initiatives, yes. Okay, all right. Well, we will definitely uh, be in email conversation and, and get this, because I really do think, yes, we've definitely talked about the kids, but it's it's us, the parents, too, that we need to be re-educated, in a sense, too, and, and really get on board with all of this. But. Again, an amazing conversation. Thank you so much to all of you. Yes, thank you all. And have a great week. Next week, hopefully, we're going to have a guest. Uh, she's a former, well, she is a Winnipegger, but she lived in L.A. during the big riot crisis of this year, faced COVID-19, everything like that. So I thought she'd be great to have on and just share her experiences about living in, in the States. But uh, so... But this can definitely this conversation will continue on too as well. All right. All right. Have a great week. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of ILikeQ.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind what she said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com. Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.